time where the phone never stops ringing. Cold calls and spam emails seem to pour in endlessly. And there is always someone that wants to buy you lunch for the chance to make you a client. This is where real salespeople pitch solutions to real problems while we snuff out the BS. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast with your host, Voron Spivak. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast. Today, my guests are Ethan Sakel and Sean Tyner. Did I say it right? You got it. Nailed it. Oh, damn, I got it. And Sean, Ethan, you guys are coming in from Coraline Pipe, and we're going to talk about a lot of things. Like One of the things that I'm really kind of blown away with is we're going to talk about how this option is better for the environment. It's cost-effective. It saves your business in several different ways. This is the cutting edge pipeline technology that you need to know about. So welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks Warren. Pleasure so, to be uh, here. So I don't know, like, you know, the more stuff that I found out about you guys, the more it's like, I really want to dig into how you're doing it. You know, why would anyone not want to do this if you can really achieve what you guys have shared? Ethan, like, where did this all begin? We core line pipe started about six years ago and it came out of some really honest drivers from the industry. You know, our founding team was a part of some RTP reinforced thermoplastic composite pipeline manufacturing previously. And, you know, we saw the industry change. We saw the demands on the industry change and the expectations change. And we want to deliver a product that gets back to using really high grade steel pipe that's as versatile as can be that can deliver on reducing your project costs, reduce your operating costs and, and really help on that whole ESG front as well. So that's what drove the inception of CORE. And, you know, we've been really proud that we've, in our opinion, achieved that today really well. That's really great. And I cannot wait to jump into all of this. And I know some of it's technical, but I think if we do our job right today, we can make it, you know, where everyone understands. I'll for sure try to play along to make sure that anything that's over my head, I'll ask. And Perfect. Sean, you're, you're out there in the field, right? Like you're actually kind of a boot on the ground that's at job sites. Yeah, absolutely. So basically once the product goes from the field or plant to the field, that's where we kind of come in and finish the project for you. And then really that's where we continue the, the relationship, right? Is we build off of the promise we made at the beginning of this and deliver you the product you're paying for. Nathan, you ready? You ready to kick this thing off? Let's do it, man. I'm ready. We're going to talk money. We're going to talk profitability. We're going to talk durability and leakage and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, right on. Yeah, we are. Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody that is involved with water movement, oil movement, and is either trucking, pipelining, you know, those are the folks that you know, should find some value in this. That's awesome. And Ethan, I know you're really going to dig into the technology and how this works. And I mean, talking to you the other day, it's like there are things, there's mistakes people are making right now. They don't even know it. And I'm hoping that today that this presentation not only will tell the Coreline Pipe story and about, about the product and why it is what it is, but also, you know, if we could even get into the part of the business where people are welding things and they're doing things maybe not the most efficient way. And this seems like the go-to place for streamlining the pipeline. And I know you mentioned that this could even go up to as, as far as 15 miles in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, for me, given what's going on in the world, and I spent the last year, year and a half going to all the basins in the U.S., all over North America, really, 
chatting with different organizations about how they are building their infrastructure, how they're moving their liquids, how they're transporting their oil, their water, all those types of things. There's no one way that people are not doing things wrong. It's just how they've done it. Maybe it's how they've always done it, that kind of stuff. You know, there's just, I think, great opportunity for the industry as a whole and, and all regions to find some efficiencies through building and owning and operating infrastructure a little bit differently than maybe you do when you're just trying to get the next well on, you're running and gunning on kind of the, the pace, the breakneck pace that the industry's gone at the last few years here. That's great. Well, if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's Educate do it. us all on Coreline Pipe USA and let's see what we do. Cool. Okay. Well, you can't see my screen, yeah? Yep. Okay. So Coreline Pipe, we've been around for well, about six years now. So still a relatively young company, but we had the unfortunate timing uh, starting mid-2014. And then if you remember, 2015 was kind of similar to what we're dealing with today. So our company's kind of developed and grown out of necessity and, and market pressures. So our mandate in Canada is where our, our parent company is and where we manufacture the product has been to build the best pipeline possible in a highly regulated jurisdiction. Like failures are just not an option. It's got to be less expensive. It's got to be done faster and there's no room to miss a budget. So that's, that's the parameters that we've been able to work within. And with that, I mean, there's just, we have been successful because we're still here. You don't get a second chance in this market if you drop the ball in any one of those categories for that matter. So we waited a while to mature the business and the system. It is new technology and to mature it to a point that we could take it into the U.S. market. And, you know, we were quite, are quite excited, but we're really excited that the tariffs went away last year and to help deliver these solutions and really help the overall health of the industry in the U.S. basins and the shale market. So core line pipe, basically at a high level, what we are, there was a, a big shift in technology and pipelines in the early 2000s. And it, it went from historically there was steel pipe, there's fiberglass pipe, and there was poly pipe, plastic pipe. And you could do some internal coatings and some things around that. But the one downside, like steel is the most versatile material to construct anything with in the world. The downside to steel as it relates to pipelines is corrosion. And the concept of these spooled RTPs, they're like garden hoses on steroids, was to get rid of corrosion. But when you use composite materials, you always lose something in that. So you can suffer from cyclic service or temperature derates or, or things of that sort. And we wanted to get back to steel and build steel pipelines. The challenge with steel and using steel is corrosion. And if you put in internal corrosion protection and before you welded it together, you're going to compromise that internal corrosion protection, whether it be an internal liner or internal coating. So our development team who started one of these composite companies back in 2002 and eventually built that and sold it. I worked there, a bunch of us worked there. So we, we kept the band together you know, said, how do we solve this problem? So the heart of the system is called click weld and it's a mechanical joint. So basically we build a steel pipeline without welding. We use our mechanical joint called click weld. And what that allows us to do is put in internal corrosion protection in the factory, which is a huge advantage. So it takes all that work that would typically be done in the field, puts it into this modular pipeline system, and then it's shipped to the project. Well, let's get into that for yeah. a second. Cause I think this is, you know, you say it nonchalantly, but the welding part of what people yeah. are doing out there, it's expensive, right? It's, it's expensive, especially in a place like the Permian where trades are really tough to find. I mean, labor is tough to find. It's in a moving market and you know maybe it won't be as expensive here and then for the next little while, but it's not a problem that's going to go away. And anything that's field constructed is expensive. It's 
can have issues with quality and speed and performance and all those those elements. And then there's the inherent safety issues and you know footprint of the environment and hot work in the field. And I mean, you can you can set fires, you can do all that kind of stuff. So it's a big thing to, to eliminate that. Uh, there's been other products that have tried to do it with limited success. And we know that our joint is by far the strongest part of the system, which is incredible. I mean, we do a, two pieces of pipe, you put them together and you pull it apart and you part the steel, you pull the steel apart, not the joint. And it's just these teeth in this, this joining system, which we'll show you in a few slides here. But the performance of this is really incredible. We, we see it as a, a kind of an enabling technology where we don't know all the things it can even do yet and the industries it could spread across. So just in terms of this whole welding concept and then the idea that in theory, you don't need a welder. Do you need someone else? Like, I mean, is, what's the consequence of the fact that I'm not welding? Like now, what do I need? Like, do I need a, like a Lego specialist or something? Yeah, you, you need Sean. You just need Sean. He's a big guy. You just, yeah. So, so so really, so it's, it's not like buying furniture at Ikea. Like this is something where, you know, if you have the right people involved, they can put it together pretty quick. Yeah. So to date, we've always done the joints ourselves and, and we're looking to build partnerships or at least alliances with contractors across North America. I'll show you the machine. We call it Walter. So that's our field press. It's a big hydraulic press. It does all the work for you. And it's really, it's just for people like we can do one of these joints. And I mean, I've seen the guys do it as fast as four minutes. I wouldn't give somebody an estimate based on four minutes of joint, but <laughs> you know, when you look at welding conventionally where you do a, a root fill and cap, you know, there's probably an hour's worth of work into a single weld. And they, they do it as an assembly line, but you know, you get four minutes of joint. You're building two pipelines with that. You're doing the steel pipe and then you're doing the internal plastic pipe. So it is a pipe and pipe system. So it's it's dual containment as well. So when somebody becomes a customer of yours, you're actually doing the installation. Is that correct? We jump into the, the existing supply chain. So they'll have a contractor that they like to use. We worked with, you know, a customer in Colorado recently where we've got a great great relationship with the contractor, family-owned business, Northwinds of Wyoming, they're called. And so they do all the mechanical work. They still build the pipeline like they're going to build a pipeline. They prepare the right-of-way, they strip the topsoil, they dig the ditch, they string the pipe, they lower it, they do, do all those common things. We just come out and work with them to do the joining. Amazing. Okay, so there was this movie, I don't know if you remember, but it was called Moonstruck, right? And the dad, I forget who Cher's dad was, but he's a plumber. And like, I don't know what it is. He's at a customer's, he's at a customer's house and he's looking at their pipe, right? And he's saying there's three kinds of pipe. He's going, there's bronze, which is good. Yeah. And then like, he's looking up at the heavens and he's like, and then there's copper, which is amazing. I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. But then he's like, then there's a third kind, which is crap. And that's what you, and that's what you have, right? <laughs> so, so here it is. I'm looking at a slide that it looks like this is the proof that this is strong and that it can handle like what it's being asked to do. Could you highlight, like for me, you know, I don't know the technical side of all these numbers. Could you tell me kind of just really what this is saying? Is it the bottom yeah, line? Is, yeah, yeah. Bottom yeah. line is Rick, today we have four inch to eight inch pipe. We can go up to 180 Fahrenheit for operating. We can install it to minus 30 because we're in Canada and you have to be able to. And, you know, we can move up to, with a single line, 70,000 barrels of liquid a day. So it's high-pressure pipe, and it's got a broad operating range. It's good for sour conditions. All the stuff that the oil field will oversee, and mining, and other industries, that's what we provide. And we've well, got, we got plans for bigger stuff, 10 and 12-inch and, and bigger if we can do it. So that's kind of what this is saying. Okay, that's great. I mean, it sounds really great from where I'm sitting. 
is that a conclusion to this slide? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how we do it, so, you know, I kind of alluded to it. We've got an in-house expertise. We've got people with 20 years of composite product design experience. So we've taken that into the design, a really, really meticulous design and, and careful design of this product. And it was really not done independently. It was done in collaboration with partners in industry. Like, what do you need today? Which, so I mentioned that shift in school products previously. Well, that was great for that industry then. But the industry today uses an extraordinary amount of liquid. You look at frac volumes, it's, it's going up exponentially. You know, it's going to be half a million barrels of water required for a frac. You need bigger pipe to move that. You can move 120 barrels in a, of liquid in a truck. So you certainly don't want to truck it because that's expensive. You can move 70,000 barrels through an eight-inch pipeline. So you, you start to do the math. There's great economics there. So, you know, we use the expertise of product design and then in partnership and collaboration in the industry to, to build it in a way that it meets the challenges and the demands of the industry. And so you, if you know what the goal is, then you apply some innovation and we ended up with what we call our product core liner. So, you know, it uses... Premium everything, premium steel components, premium fusion joining, really, really high-grade internal liner for corrosion protection. So it's really kind of novel and just we've taken the best parts that the oil field uses and combined it into one system. Awesome. And then on this slide, Sean, is there anything you want to add to this one, like just from like a user standpoint or like what you're seeing on the job sites? Yeah, like you said, from, you know, from the beginning, like from the sales team to the engineering team, by the time it gets to the field, 90% of it is done. So we're really just becoming part of this machine and it's just a repeated process over and over again. We can measure every aspect of the job and it allows us to build data that we can provide back to these customers. And it, like I said, it all starts from this expertise, collaboration, innovation, and it allows us to not only give you the perfect pipeline, but give you data on your pipeline that, you know, wasn't available really before us. But it sounds like you guys are actually repiping. Like on one hand, I'm sure you have new jobs, right? Where you're doing completely new construction. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah. a lot of a lot of our work is line replacements. In, sure. You know, and does things. that make it easier? So this so it sounds like really if somebody calls core line pipe, you actually have a team that starts you off and you would actually be able to understand what it takes to make this transition. That's right. Um, yeah. Because while yeah. it sounds really great, it's like all of us, when we want to take on a, something new and you, when you think of like what it costs to, you know, basically redo a project, it's nice to know that you could kind of round table it and even put an expense on it. And I know cost has a lot of, there's a lot of benefits to cost here. And yeah. it says a lot to me that somebody would take the time and the energy and the money to go this way, right? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of very meticulously planned the thing about, you know, being owners in, in the company and, and having our broad team have ownership in the company, you're able to build this and do this the way you want. So we're very careful about our reputation and our fundamental mandate is, here's the deal. The deal is our intent is to build a pipeline that can never have a release or failure. And mm -hmm. if, we, if we stick to our principles on not sacrificing our integrity or what we know this product can do, because we want to sell, even though I'm so inclined as a career sales rep to sell, 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 that's not good for our industry. It's not good for a company. It's not good for anything. I don't want just one sale. I want to build a relationship with a, a partnership with a company where we can grow and prosper together by doing it the right way. And I think, you know, before we go to the next slide, I would just say the fact that there's an environmental 
component here that the idea that really your claim right now, guys, is that there are going to be no leaks, no seepage or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. I mean, to me, that sounds like a pretty big deal. And whenever somebody who, if the industry standard is that corrosion is a reality and opening this door and making this phone call suddenly removes all of that, I think that sounds pretty epic to me. Yeah, well, we're six six years without a failure, which is a, a stat that we're really, we've never had a failure in this product. Which I'll tell you, coming on, I was one of the the first few people participating in this company, and my name on you know somebody trusting me to give us an opportunity to put it in the ground. It's a little bit scary as a new product. You know, you don't know if there's if there's going to be some fatal flaw you don't know about, but we can say with complete confidence that it works. It's never let us down. It's never let anybody down for that fact. And there's just, especially in the Canadian market, anybody like, you know, there's some parts that are getting quite regulated in the the US. The regulation is extraordinary in in Canada. So it's just not acceptable to have a failure. So this one, just, you know, a little bit of a snapshot. Again, this is high pressure stuff that we're doing. It's a little bit different in Canada in that historically, you know, companies get their mineral rights from the government. So they get one contiguous land position. It's not quite the same in the U.S. because you've got, maybe got piecemeal land positions and, and drilling. So not everybody builds infrastructure or can justify it the same way, which I totally get. And there's some different regulatory items on how your pressure dictates how it's regulated. But for this, I mean, the majority of our work is water. And, and I've heard, if you, you know, you could look any day and see headlines about water crisis in every shale basin that there is. In the Northeast, they don't have any pipeline infrastructure for water. You know, in the Marcellus, you dig there's, there's basically nothing. There's eight disposal wells in all of Pennsylvania. They truck their water to Ohio, which is crazy. You know, you go into Colorado, which is probably the most similar to Canadian market and how they build things. You know, they're very careful. And I mean, they've got a very huge social and regulatory and ESG challenge, you know, to make the citizens and market happy there. So, you know, we do high pressure, mostly water, and whether it's fresh water transporting out for frac or it's participating in enhanced oil recovery in, you know, polymer floods, water floods, or just disposal wells. That's kind of what we're doing. Nice. And then this whole slide is all water. This is so like 70% of our work is water and 30% is emulsion. So oil from well, this is all for upstream, like in field gathering or disposal, basically. Nice. So from, if, from the wellhead. And if you're a listener, I mean, some of the temperature ranges on here are, I mean, it's 32 degree Fahrenheit is what I'm seeing. Yeah, that's kind of 32 to 180. So 32 is, you know, if it's kind of shallow, buried. Mm-hmm. Most of our stuff is buried, right? So, because, you know, we get down to minus 30 in the winter and you don't really want to run heat tracing on a, on a line. You don't want your line to freeze, I guess is the point. So it's a broad range. I mean, so you can, you can operate in almost any condition that oil and gas sees right now. And then when you guys do like a, when you redo a job, like when you go to a job site that's already been constructed, do you, they call it a construction? I don't even know if I'm using the right term. Yeah, yeah, pipeline construction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you get there. Have you ever taken them from like a six inch to an eight inch or the other way? Like, is that ever part of the equation because you're going to this new technology? Yeah, what's happening a lot now is, you know, I kind of mentioned with water volumes changing in the industry as a whole, just based on frac. So the more water you put in, the more you're going to get back. And then older reservoirs produce more natural water. A lot of times we do line replacements, high-risk replacements of a four-inch, and that'll be upgraded to a six-inch or we'll replace a six-inch that goes up to an eight, that kind of thing, yeah. So it's really, it's refreshing the infrastructure for what those fields need now today. And the one thing that we've seen a lot, like even in the Bakken, those wells were really great. Big decline curves on those as well, right? So you produce here and then six months later, 
you know, your production has dropped off. A lot of those are going into enhanced oil recovery. So water flood, and that's really, you know, you put a lot of water in the ground to get a lot of production out. So Amazing. And then I know at some point we're going to talk about trucking and stuff like that, like how yeah. this is that, but you're literally like from a shell standpoint, this is kind of the go-to if people really knew about it. Yeah. So the thing that I'm very proud of in the Canadian market, you know, we're about 55, 60% of six and eight inch pipe that goes into corrosive service. And wow. it's not huge volumes, not like you'd see in the Permian by any stretch. The Canadian market never recovered after the 2015 kind of bust, not, not like it was before. Give you an example, you know, Western Canada used to put in 18,000 miles a year, and now they do maybe 4,000 miles a year. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's quite a different market, but of that, we've really grown as a entrenched solution for some really great operators. You know, we have our sort of qualifications with some super majors and we've been working with them and, you know, it's, it's been tremendous what we've been able to accomplish from, uh, adoption and working our way into a solution for the industry. So now it's just time to take it broader and further. Yeah. And so I know you got this next slide up, but you made me just think about the fact that, yeah, you're there in Canada and this is kind of the time for the USA to take note of what core pipeline is doing and what's available to them. And this is, this is very new down here, right? That's right. Yeah. We very softly kind of pursued the U S market. You know, we, just made the rounds from all the basins just to better understand it. And to, we don't really go and push blindly on a sale. It's more, we really want to consultate or consult with the clients and, and say, understand their challenges. Like what are we trying to do here? It's not just, I mean, yeah, we want to sell pipe, but we want to deliver a solution. So we need to understand how they're building their infrastructure and why, and what the challenges are and what the opportunities are to, to really grow. And I think, given the COVID-19 crisis and oil price crash and, and all the things going on right now, I hope in general for Canada and the U.S. that people really start to open their minds to how we can improve and grow a healthier industry because it doesn't make sense to come back and just do the same thing again, right? We, yeah. need, to, we need to work together and to innovate and to really help to, to grow this really important business for North America. Well, what I like about what you guys stand for and the whole philosophy behind Coreline Pipe is it's not just about saving money. There's this environmental component. And then on top of that, for somebody who's out there using kind of old school technology to do this and they're hiring welders and you know nothing against welders, I'm just saying it just sounds like that's an added expense that people are accruing. And almost like the more that I'm, I'm learning from you guys and the conversation we've had before, this is kind of like the closest thing to plug and play because you can actually get to the job site and you have support, you have a team, and it's more like you guys are in the execution business of getting it done. That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's meant to just knock it out. I mean, you know, Sean came on with us and you were proficient at this in what, two weeks, you know? Yeah, it's like I said, before it gets to the field, it's, it's ready to go. So when we are in the field, we hammer it out and that's, you know, like I said, the process is just made to be repeated. Like I said, plug and play. That's the result. And you get a lot for that. You know. So tell me about the new facility, 50,000 square feet. I mean, yeah. this is pretty magnificent. 50, so everything you see here is custom designed in-house with our engineering team. The facility's really cool. It's, it's just north of Calgary. Out of here, we can get oh, 900 to 1,000 miles a year between the 4-inch to 8-inch products. And it's got space for a 10 and 12 inch manufacturing line as well. So 
uh, custom design, we commissioned it in, I guess it is, it's not that new now. We commissioned it late 2018, so it's year and change old, year and a half yeah. old. Yeah, it's a big, big step. We're really proud of it. Where's we, it located? It's Crossfield, Alberta, just north of Calgary, 20 minutes north of Calgary. Nice. Yeah, so it, that's our new shop. And before we do that, I'll just, to give some product, just to give you a, a kind of a sense of it. Mm-hmm. So every piece of pipe we have, you can see my mouse too, yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I don't see your notes. I don't see your notes. No, my mouse. Oh, your mouse. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm not pointing yeah. blindly. <laughs> right. So every piece of pipe has what we call the factory end and the field end. So it's kind of a male female assembly. So the factory end has a mandrel, which you can see right here, that's jutting out. It's protruding. And that's meant to go inside the field end bell. So that will go in here. So basically, if you look at this side, this is how we would string the pipe. And when we put it into our machine, it's going to grab it. It's going to put the mandrel, this part, inside that steel bell. And then this is the liner, the plastic, that's going to fit inside the pipe into the internal fusion coupling. So it really is a pipe and pipe product. So when it's completed, and I'll show you here, inside the fusion coupling, this is called electrofusion. So electrofusion is a technology that's 60 years old. It's all computer processor controlled, so it takes all the human element out of fusing plastic together. And we're not actually joining, like these are two separate pieces of liner. We're Mm -hmm. not actually joining those together. They never connect to one another. It's molecular fusion to the electrofusion coupling. So these plastic or copper wires you hear, this is a heating element. So when you put the plastic inside the coupling and you pass the current through it, it fuses all the way around the pipe. So you get a seven inch fusion zone at every coupling that you know basically provides five times more strength than a perfect butt fusion and butt fusions conventionally how you do most plastic incredible i mean I, I mean that's a pretty big claim there and but you can tell like just in some of these images you could see how it's almost like the materials overlap and they fit together yeah that's right actually i was explaining to a guy earlier and, and how did he describe it it was like <laughs> joining two pieces of two two by fours by nailing them to another two by four. That was kind of how he, he described it. And I said, yeah, that's kind of, that kind of makes sense. It's a simple way to think about it, right? So this is the fusion coupling that's being fused on to one side of the liner. Now this whole stick of liner, this is 64 feet. That's going to get inserted inside the steel. So I'll, I'll get back on track here. But the thing to note about this technology, it's premium, premium technology. It's all computer controlled. So this, this processor, you scan a barcode, and it corrects the fusion cycle, so you get a perfect fusion based on the temperature and humidity and, and all the conditions it's seeing, and it, it accounts for it on every one. So instead of, you know, Sean and I going up to the field to try to butt fuse and going, oh, geez, what's the temperature? How long do we do this? And you, you melt it and squish it together, and you have a fusion bead and all the stuff that happens. This is, again, plug and play. If you hook up these, these electrodes, it reads that circuit, and it does everything perfectly. And we've calibrated this. We've done... 40,000 of these and we've never had a, a never knock on wood never had a fusion failure i mean you say that again so nonchalantly it's really that's a big deal i mean like to me the idea that you guys have you have this product that's manufactured there with you guys then it's being trucked to wherever it's going and then not like some fancy welder is welding metal together on you know like doing what we all would expect to be done in a normal construction site you literally have this kind of clicking and plug and play kind of action that you guys have created and it's never failed i mean to me like that's what all of us i mean whether you're in the oil and gas industry or not it's like 
the idea that the leaking and the seeping and the freezing and all that stuff that you're that, that are kind of like the environmental dangers to take that and remove that from your from your frame of thought because you have a really great product i think that brings peace of mind i mean peace of mind not just for the client your client but i think just for all of us that are just going like this seems like a preferable way to do business yeah yeah man i mean and i'll just qualify that We've never had an in-service failure. We've had a couple issues during commissioning, but that's a QC step, and we found the problems at QC. And Which, what is QC? Quality control. Quality control, where you do yeah. you, you do a hydro test, so you you fill the line full of liquid and you pressure it up. And we've never had a mechanical problem, and we've uncovered some third-party damage that was incurred to the line at. So it wasn't a thing that we did. But the important part is, even when there was damage, the procedures that are in place let it get repaired before it ever went into service. And again, just, you know, which is really cool. Like it all works the way it's supposed to. And I've never met anybody. The one thing, everybody kind of shits on the oil and gas industry. And, and I've never met anybody in this industry anywhere in the world that doesn't care about the environment. Everybody, they're stewards of, of the environment as far as I've seen. And, and, I, well, just, and I, think, I think that's evident to me that you feel that way, Ethan, because you know, for you to be in this position with this company and like that was one of the first things that you talked about was environmental, you know, and the fact that this does play a role in that it improves, it improves the quality of the pipe, right? It's like yeah. now, it's not just that you're replacing pipe, but you're kind of adding this extra component, which you're saying, and it's not going to leak, you know, it's not going to corrode. And it's not really, I know, isn't there an alternative that we talked about? Like, I don't know if you said polyurethane or something like that. Where you you were mentioning that there's other options that people do that's not necessarily steel. Oh yeah, there's a range of options out there of corrosion resistant materials. A lot of people in many markets use just straight polyethylene pipe, which would be the same plastic, but it's just a single wall pipe that's pressure containing. And the problem with that is that it can suffer from derates. So, for example, if there's elevation in a region, you've got a single wall pipe. It's plastic. And you have to factor in fluid head pressure so that so basically you have a pipe that starts at 500 pounds or 300 pounds and you can only operate it at 150 because of all of the d rates because it's not really a great pressure containing material it's a great corrosion barrier but it's not a great pressure containing material so in that instance we talked about reducing you know capex well you know you get to use a kind of a right so that pipe if it was flat and straight could move 120,000 barrels of liquid in a day but because of temperature or hydrocarbon or elevation, a lot of people are only getting 40 or 50,000 barrels a day, which you can do with an eight inch pipe at high pressure that's less expensive. And you get dual containment. You get, you know, the plastic is your primary containment and you get the steel as a pressure containing layer, but that's also gas and liquid type. And we have the ability to monitor that interstitial space or annular space between the plastic and steel. So you've got the kind of triple redundancy. You've got the plastic in our system to to contain the corrosion and all of the abrasion you got the steel to provide the strength and we've got a way to monitor that primary containment so if your primary containment is breached then you can still monitor that and know that there's an issue and address it before you ever get to the point of having a release to environment but there are other options and there's some great products that can do really well in some services but for the challenges the industry faces today i mean core liner is specifically designed for this so manufacturing, I can show you really quickly this video of how we build it. It's kind of cool if it plays. There we go. Okay. So this is, a, this is a facility we just saw. Again, everything you see here is going to be custom manufactured. 
basically this is the incoming pipe rack. This is an X52 tubular. This is a six inch pipe. So this pipe here is good to 2140 PSI. Comes in, got our fancy snow removal system there, Canadian push broom, <laughs> and comes into the, the facility. We've got these rotating arms. It takes it off the plant cart, puts it onto an indexing rack. So here they're going to do a bunch of QC checks. They're going to you know, make sure that the wall thickness is correct, that there's no weld slag or shot, there's no cracks, there's no deformations. If it passes this part of the manufacturing process, it's good. It's within spec to be built, so it goes into the actual manufacturing cell. Once it goes up on the plant cart, it goes onto the walking beam here, so it'll rotate off the cart onto the walking beam, and then we actually start the construction of the process. So in the background, you see our guy just slid the ring on. It's really important to do that before we build the pipe. And then this is a 120 ton hydraulic press that cold works a bell into the end of the pipe. So this swages it out. It actually makes the steel stronger and thinner. So once that's done, we've got a shorter bell, we have a ring on, and we have now done, we started our QC process. So they do a pre and post swage wall thickness check. And what we do now is we put that die on, this is on the weld seam, we put a developer on, and this is looking for cracks or damage to the weld seam. So we do that on every, on every pipe that we do. We do it in the field as well. And that just is a really important QC step. So that was the field end that you just saw. We call it the field end because you actually use that ring in the field. And this is what we call the factory end. So the factory end provides that longer bell. We drilled those holes and then we prepared the liner. So this is a 4710 HDPE. It's got the dual zone electrofusion. So right here, it's a prepared surface. It's scraped and it's cleaned, and then you do a fusion. So this is being fused onto the end of the pipe, and now it goes into insertion. So it goes to roller reduction. Basically, at this point, the outer diameter of the plastic is larger than the internal diameter of the steel, and these rollers squish the plastic down a bit so we can actually get it inside. So after about 20 minutes, it fits, it goes back, it springs back, fits really tight. And so putting plastic inside steel isn't a new operation that's been done for a long time. And some of us used to work at a company that did that. It's just, there's a really high rate of failure in those, in those products. And it's really hard to construct in the field. It's costly and time consuming. And this is specifically designed to eliminate all of those failure modes. Electrofusion is the heart of that. And it provides a whole bunch of benefits that somebody cares to hear about. They can email me or call me or reach out via the website. But yeah, so here we finished the insertion. Now you've got the liner all the way through the 60 foot joint pipe, got the, the internal fusion coupling inside. And then this is a mandrel with teeth on it. And this is what provides all the strength of the joint. We press this ring over and it actually crimps down the wall of the steel into the teeth of that mandrel. And that's click weld. That's the heart of this thing. And that's how we eliminate welding. And I'll tell you, we cannot get that to fail. You can pull as hard as you want. I think the last one we pulled on, we parted the steel pipe at 482,000 pounds of tensile loading. So it's, it's pretty crazy. And so we provide QC data to every component of this. It's all uniquely serialized. And that's basically core liner manufacturing. Amazing. Yeah, it's an incredible facility there. And, and definitely, as you see this thing constructed, you can just see the quality there. You know, while there is this plastic part of it, right, it just seems like steel is utilized throughout. And pretty incredible to see how that works together and, and the results that you're getting. Yeah. So the one thing I'll just point out here. So this, this little metallograph, this was from some testing that we did. So that mandrel that we, you saw with the teeth on it, mm -hmm. this is a mandrel tooth. And this is the tooth embedment into the wall of the steel pipe. So that's what gives it all its strength. It's like those teeth really do bite in. Amazing. 
Yeah. And then, and I was just going to ask on this. So what's the turnaround times? Like as I watch this process and see how it works, what kind of turnaround times do you guys have? Not just in manufacturing, but then after that, whenever you actually get to the job site and it's time to install. Yeah. So we carry a pretty decent inventory. We got lots of pipe right now. Anybody that hears this and wants to buy some pipe, the exchange rate's really favorable to buy. I mean, Canada is on sale right now with the FX rates, but you know, we can accommodate pipe within a couple of days. It's important to us to kind of be the pipe store. And yeah, so we can deliver pipe within a couple of days. We'd like to have about a week's head up to deliver a crew, but you know, we want to accommodate our clients and service the heck out of everybody. That's, that's really fundamental to our businesses. Service, service, service. Nice. I mentioned Walter before we were talking about welders. I want to say we love welders and there's lots of other pipelines to weld. So don't hate us. We just want to use Walter on the really nasty ones. But this is a 120 ton hydraulic press. It fits on the end of a track hoe. Basically, this guy can do anything that the manufacturing facility can do. This is how we join the pipe. We can actually cut the pipe and recreate that mechanical joining system in the field as well. So we can cut a piece of pipe from 60 feet to eight feet if we want. It's kind of cool. So, you know, some big, big buckets of things that matter here. There's no welding, there's no liner crew. So you're taking stuff out of the, the field environment, putting it into a factory. There's no x-ray, it's a smaller footprint. And that matters in so many ways. Everything from, you know, there's less people driving, you know, dry, there's, no, there's less driving incidents. There's less noise pollution, light pollution. You know, there's less chance for finger injuries and just all the things that happen, less people is, is less problem, right? Seven to 11 minute cycle time. We've tracked our, our field uh, production rates for years. So we've got KPIs. I can tell you how many, like what our average time was in the last 5,000 field cuts and tie-ins and risers. And, you know, we're very transparent with all that. And, you know, ultimately it's about getting people off the right away, reducing the amount of equipment, building it faster and improving the quality. And, you know, it now rolls up into benefits and operating expense because you've got a corrosion resistant pipeline. You reduce capital costs because, Although, you know, you're paying for a bit of a premium on a product compared to if you just pieced out the components themselves, you've got this modular system that is faster, it's done right, and, you know, you're removing, hopefully by building pipeline, really inefficient trucking costs or temporary water movement costs. You know, I drove with Sean from Carlsbad to Midland, well, what was that, in March, early March, and you just, you drive and you see lay flat hose, which is, you know, temporary water movement. And I timed it every seven seconds, we were passing another pump. So that pump is burning diesel fuel all day to pump and pump and pump. And, you know, permanent infrastructure has a really great return on investment. You can build it in a way that is, you know, you use a core liner or, or another kind of product that provides corrosion resistance. You lower your overall operating cost. The cost of ownership of these pipelines is next to nothing because they're corrosion resistant. You have one centralized pump instead of a whole bunch of pumps. And you can plan your infrastructure for years to come and how you go through your field development. So, you know, it boils down to if you want a truck liquid, it's going to cost you many dollars a barrel. If you use temporary solutions, it's going to cost you not as many dollars a barrel. And if you use permanent pipeline solutions, you're going to get a great return on investment many times inside six months. And it's going to lower your cost of movement to pennies, you know, somewhere between 10 and 17 cents a barrel to move water or oil with centralized high pressure pumping. So it's not a fit everywhere, but there's a lot of room for improved infrastructure throughout all the bases. Amazing. That's good job. I mean, that's great. And then is this the last slide? 
This is the last slide. I can show you this yeah. video real quick if you want. Just show you a joint actually go together. So this is accelerated. Our guys are quick, but they're not this quick. <laughs> so basically, this is our full footprint on a right away. We'll be three guys to come out and operate the track hole, run the field press and do the fusions. And then we work with a contractor that's already on the right away with the side boom. And then they do just typical dirt work. Yeah, this is pretty amazing to see how you got the three guys there with the operator. Yeah. So right now they're just cleaning every piece of pipe. You scrape the end. Polyethylene oxidizes kind of as soon as it's constructed. So see the shinier part right there? That You actually scrape a layer of plastic off. They clean it with alcohol. That yellow bit's just a funnel that helps guide the plastic inside. And you know how this is This is real. It's, it's, it's kind of rusty. <laughs> so... Basically, the, the field bell right here is fitting over the, the mandrel. They put a lubricant on just to grease. They line it up, they press the ring, and then that's done. That's a finished joint. So you can see how when you get in a workflow, I mean, you can, you can knock out a lot of these in a very short period of time. And so then what would happen after that? The, field, the fusion technician would come a couple joints behind and just attach the fusion processor to that joint and then energize the fitting. That's great. Pretty obvious to me, like, looks like you guys really, there's quite a few different things about this that are cutting edge. And one of the things that I want to do before we sign off is, can we talk about failure budgets for a minute? I mean, I know that, when, you know, we talked about leakage and stuff like that, but really people have to budget for when things go wrong. And you guys kind of have created something where we bypass that in a way, right? How does that work, Ethan? Yeah, a lot of people have contingency plans for failing infrastructure. And, you know, it, it's not, depending on what fails, it could be a huge cost. You know, a lot of our clients, they, they go through high-risk assessments. So they'll do some type of inspection on it to, to validate the remaining integrity. And hopefully they get there fast enough. But there's this inclination to always push that out. And, and there's some legacy things that people have to deal with. And because we kind of didn't used to matter the same way you clean it up and you get back to business. And now failures aren't acceptable anywhere, really. Uh, you have to remove those soils. You have to take them to a decontamination facility and you have to reclaim that ground. You know, worst case is a water course crossing or an environmentally sensitive area where you can contaminate things. So it's just really coming into the focus of that is wasted capital. There was a prolific company in Canada. Like they were the darling of the industry for a long time. And their infrastructure was so bad that they eventually went bankrupt. They just, they were spending something like $50 million a quarter fixing and lines and, <laughs> and like it was outrageous what they were spending. And I'll tell you, they used to be, I think, 8,000 employees and I think they're 400 now in their new reformation. So, you know, it's not something that can be neglected. It's something we have to deal with collectively as an industry. And in times like this, I know it's it's hard and to make these good decisions, but we still need to make good decisions because they benefit us in the long term. And I know there's lots of companies that do still do that and they get it and they have the same philosophies of business as we do. So, you know, that's just more and more important and, and cutting out failures is there's no social license damage. There's no cost. There's none of that stuff. And then a product like this, you know, I didn't really talk much about dual containment, but that dual containment provides a really unique opportunity in monitoring, but also in reducing emissions. So if you have gas will permeate through anything basically over enough time mm -hmm. and volume and pressure with this, because it's dual containment and other systems that would just vent that gas to atmosphere. I think it, the reduction in emissions, we did some math the other day and it's not an official study or anything, but rough math operating hundred miles of core lighter 
compared to some of the, the school products that vent that gas is like reducing the emissions of 3,500 households per year. Whoa. So yeah, that's I mean, a big number. It's a lot, right? And so there's a huge opportunity to come at this and provide value from all kinds of angles. And the industry that's hurting right now, I just, we want to talk about how we build back a better industry than we had before. Okay. And one last thing before we sign off is to say people sometimes are trucking, right? Instead of using pipe. Like, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sean, I know you're out there in the field. Like, what are the crazy things people are doing when this is actually an option? Well, like Ethan hit on earlier, you know, sometimes it's not an option, but, you know, trucking is kind of, it's like comfort food. It's easy, right? You <laughs> company, you get, you get trucks coming and your problem solved. Well, I think statistically, and I don't know this a hundred percent, but road accidents are the number one accident on oil leases driving, you know, it's human error, right? And that's, that's where this pipeline comes in and we solve, we eliminate human error. And, and so just, by removing those probabilities of an accident, you're saving money all the way around because each time there's an accident, you know, it falls back on everybody involved and it's just a continued output of money when you could be putting that on your bottom line. And, you know, during these times when oil prices are, who knows what they are below 20 bucks, I think right now it's a fight. So, you know, these, these can help position you to be ready for, maybe harder times. So if somebody's listening right now and they want to get a hold of you guys, learn more about, you know, whether it's setting an appointment with you, Ethan, to kind of figure out what it takes to apply this technology to their job sites, or if somebody's just interested in Coreline Pipe at all, how do they find you? Yeah. So, I mean, you can come to the website. It's www.corelinepipe.com. My contact information's on there under the contact us. Please reach out anytime. LinkedIn, we have our company page. But yeah, come to the website. It's got all the functionality to get in touch with us. So you can find us there. We're available anytime, day or night to chat. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here. Ethan, Sean, you. you did a great job. You know, this you is something that I hope more and more people learn about because obviously there's more than a few good reasons for them to look into this. Thank you both for being a guest of the Oil & Gas Pitch podcast. If you are listening and your company has a solution to a real problem, call us. We are wanting companies to come on to the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast and share your solution. Guys, thank you so much. I'm your host, Warren Speedywack, and I will see you guys on the next episode. Thanks, Warren. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Check us out next week for another witty and sometimes spicy episode of the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast. 
a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. <laughs>